Hello, this is Jonathan, and welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast, hosted by 4constructionpros.com, covering various aspects of the construction industry, including the equipment, people, companies, and associations making it all happen. It's currently nearing the end of 2022, so we wanted to grab some insight on 2023 and the trends and predictions that look to be on their way up in the construction industry. To do so, we connected with Ron Stupai, Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Bureau Veritas, specifically their North American Division of Building and Infrastructure. We spoke about what he sees as current trends, challenges, and how the industry has adapted to overcome them, as well as new opportunities. The thing is, we spoke for about an hour. So I split this up into a series of shorter episodes. This is part one of a three-part series. Now to the interview. To start, I asked Ron to give me some background on the company and how he got there. In its most simple way, Bureau Veritas is a global, what we call a tick company, testing, inspection, and certification. How that relates to the building and infrastructure uh, division, which in my case is a an assembly of nine different business units related to serving both the, the building uh, industry in different ways, as well as the infrastructure side in different ways. And in simplest form, we are basically certifying that something is being built per code by doing plan review and plan check. We are providing inspections during the course of construction to ensure it's being built in line with the construction documents and in, in line with regulations. We are basically certifying in a world of project management that the roles and responsibilities of the various construction teams are, are being held to, to the standards that they need to be held to. And again, conforming with the intent of the design documents and representing owners, whether those are owners of buildings, they could be state agencies or government agencies in every place in between. So the way I loosely describe the testing inspection certification is, is we are basically making sure that existing in-service items like boilers, escalators, elevators are operating in conformity, in compliance and certifying to that. When it comes to new construction or remodeling, uh, we are, again, reviewing plans for, for code compliance and making sure they are constructed in the right way. Same thing on the on the infrastructure side before a data center um, <clears throat> goes line goes online, becomes powered. We are, again, certifying the mechanical systems around those various data centers for various clients around the globe. So it's basically allowing us to operate or provide services that allow companies to operate in a, in a safe environment, the public to enjoy the use of those buildings and facilities uh, in a safe environment. And that's really our role as an unbiased um, third-party expert when it comes to those various items. So a lot of it kind of seems like it's after the construction. Do you, um, uh, do no, you have any no, role during it? It's very much, so we will engage pre-construction to okay. uh, review drawings for code compliance. We'll, we will augment various building departments around the United States, either on an expedited basis that you can come to us for a quicker process, or we will augment existing building departments. For example, um, 
for fires in California where there is significant damage or a hurricane that just occurred in Florida, <clears throat> we augment some of those city building departments where they are overwhelmed with new building applications to restore those, those buildings to you know, a safe inhabited state or get them reconstructed to the event they were, they were torn down. So we will, or, you know, damaged. So we will play that role during what I call pre-construction. We will certainly provide construction management and special inspections throughout on our infrastructure side, in particular, when it comes to roads and bridges and airports, you know, a lot of those components are manufactured around the world, structural steel, concrete beams, those types of things we will have a role in, in providing source inspection before they are shipped to the construction site so that when they show up on site, they are already in conformity as opposed to shipping something from Italy for a steel beam at, at the JFK airport and it comes across a ship and all of a sudden it's not manufactured correctly. We need to catch that uh, before that. So, and then during construction, again, providing construction management oversight, while we're rolling out, you know, electric vehicle charging stations to make sure they are constructed properly, that they power on correctly and that they work functionality. And then actually on the life cycle of real estate, uh, closing out those projects and doing periodic maintenance, again, electric vehicle charging world, coming back every 60 days to make sure they are performing the way they were intended in terms of electrical capacity. Are the pedestals all, you know, operational, have they been damaged by a vehicle backing into them and damaged in some way or so on and so forth. And then if there's an ongoing compliance issue, like an elevator, an annual inspection or a boiler, we can play that role too. So we like to say we serve the industry throughout the entire life cycle of real estate. Yeah, that sounds like it. Um, yep. From my research, uh, it seems like you, I believe you joined uh, Bureau Veritas in 2020. How did you end up leading uh, the building and infrastructure division, what you drew you to this area of construction? Actually, I joined BV in 2018. Okay. Uh, so BV acquired uh, a, a large company that that I was uh, a part of their leadership team. So BV actually acquired our company in March of 2018. And during that first kind of 18 to 24 months, we worked on integrating, you know, our business into the BV uh, structure and services and so on and so forth. Um, at that point in in December of 2019, actually, uh, I took on a role to lead this umbrella of companies called Building and Infrastructure, again, that serve the various uh, you know industries and services that I've mentioned. So I've been with BV approaching five years, um, but in my current role, about three years. And, it, and it's really, again, meant to have an umbrella of, of leadership that says, how can we serve our customers a little bit differently throughout that life cycle? Rather than saying, hey, I need an elevator inspector, which some do, what other components are you replacing an elevator that we may have a role? Can we help you in some capital planning? So let's say you're a university around the United States that has a, a multitude of buildings, 200 buildings plus on campus that all look wildly different from dorms to auditoriums, to gyms, to classrooms, et cetera, et cetera. We can help you uh, establish a capital plan to say, hey, the roof over your uh, auditorium is gonna need replaced in four years. That's going to be a $4 million expense. So you need to start planning for that now. 
unless you can just write a check in four years, right, for, for that roof. And so we're able to put a five, 10 year, even 20 year capital plan together for those long-term holders of real estate. So rather than just saying, hey, we need an elevator inspector, the, the whole idea around this building and infrastructure umbrella is to allow us to engage at different points along your life cycle and say, I know you hired us for this particular service, but how else can we help help you drive the most efficient use of your physical real estate, whether that be buildings, whether that be um, you know roads, you know transit bridges, those types of things. I also saw that um, Bureau Veritas is celebrating its 10-year anniversary. Um, what do you think has been some of the more significant changes in the BNI industry these last 10 years? So Bureau Veritas has actually been around 194 years. Wow. Uh, and they were, they were initially founded by uh, some brothers in France that would happen as ships would leave port, they would not reach their destination for various reasons. Whether it was crime, whether it was the vessels were not seaworthy, whatever the case may be, or the cargo would not show up in the same state as it left. And so 194 years ago, and this business still exists today, they would basically classify or certify vessels to say they are seaworthy and they can make it from point A to point B. And the cargo is packed in such a way that that can make it from point A to point B. And so that business still exists today uh, in very much, although obviously a much more sophisticated format. So BV has been around 194 years. The building and infrastructure as it sits today at North America is much closer to that 10 years. Okay. But, uh, you know, we have been in many countries for, for well over 100 years already around the globe. I love the idea that you're taking this history of making sure things are done the way they should and double checking that mm -hmm. and applying that to our infrastructure, our, mm -hmm. our roads and highways and our constructed built environment. That's. Yeah, it's, it's really meant to be an order of protection and whether that order of protection is protecting an owner that says, hey, I'm paying. X amount of dollars for this service mm -hmm. and ensuring that that service, in this case, it might be construction, it might be a piece of equipment, is installed and working correctly. In the infrastructure, it has a tendency to be more towards a government. So the taxpayers, you know, when you think about a road, a bridge, you know, the Bay Area Rapid Transit in San Francisco, um, LaGuardia Airport or JFK Airport, you know, they want those things to work. Right, the, the LaGuardia terminal that's open now is was one of the most complex construction projects. Is basically reconstructing an entirely new airport terminal right next to the old airport terminal with no disruption. And so, I don't know if you've been to that airport recently, but it's it's transformative from a a flyer experience. And when you go in there now, as opposed to when you went in there you know, three or four years ago. And so that's where we take a lot of pride in, you know, in our role, whatever that may be on a construction project is looking at that finished pro product and project and say, wow, look, look how this is functioning now. It's functioning the way it should. And we had a role in that and it's doing it safely as it was originally intended to, to operate and, and be constructed. While you're in this kind of mindset of taking a look at you know, how LaGuardia has changed. What 
um, other significant kind of big impacts in the industry have been um, massive in your eyes. In your in your opinion, what has been been the biggest changes in the last ten years of the BNI infrastructure? Yeah, it's a, it's a great That's- question. I think there's I think there's a few of them, and really, it's it much like many industries. I would put technology. Uh, mm-hmm. in the forefront. And, w- and what does that mean specifically? Uh, it means a few things for us. I think it's, you know, how do we use drones and robots to provide us information more safely um, and sometimes quicker, sometimes co- more cost-effective than, you know, what humans used to do. So we think about inspecting bridges or cables on bridges, for example, you know, that or high high pole or uh, high pole um, mass, you know, in various parking lots or cell phone towers that are out in the middle of farmers fields. A lot of those structures used to have to be inspected by a human climbing on those things, which, you know, was tedious and also, you know, put lives in danger a, a little more. Or if you're thinking of a bridge, you know, the disruption to traffic and, and, you know, the so on and so forth, which anytime you're disrupting traffic creates a, a an unsafer or a less safe environment. And so the ability to leverage drones and robots to get into those places, you know, and go inspect those um, ha- has been a game changer for us. I think, um, you know, 3DVR virtual reality where you can, you know, take videos or virtual videos of spaces and and then share that across a global network of teams and people that need that data, you know, versus just sharing a static drawing in the past and how that was developed, I think, you know, changes the game of collaboration and, you know, getting things done quicker, more cost effectively with less errors at the end of the day, because we all know construction projects are notorious for having delays of some sort. And so the better you can do, your pre-construction due diligence and go into, you know, kind of a known situation and plan for that, the better off you're going to be for it. So I think, you know, that evolution of technology is is a game changer for us. And then on our side, how our inspectors leverage technology to, to perform their functions, right? If we're performing, um, you know, an elevator inspector inspection or conducting some sort of asset management review or, or you know building review the information we have at our fingertips in terms of code in terms of remaining useful life in terms of condition in terms of way to troubleshoot you know those are things that used to exist uh, in a book or you know something you have to go back to your office and research as opposed to now you're you're looking at it in real time on an iPad or some electronic device like that and saying, hey, what am I really looking at? What condition is it in? And what does that really mean? And, you know, that's readily available at your fingertips so that, you know, A, it's making you more efficient at your job, but B, if there is some um, issue around life, health, safety, so on and so forth, you can identify it much more quickly on the spot and maybe take action as a result. So I think it's inward looking on how to how do we make our employees better and more empowered, but it's also embracing that new technology that that just like any industry is is so rapidly evolving today. Yeah, where do you think this evolution is going to take us? Like, what do you think 
the B&I industry is going to look like in the next 10 years forward? I, I think people are going to, certainly the, the world of, of ESG and sustainability. And ES, ESG? Yeah. Uh, environmental safety um, you know, initiatives okay. around that way to, to you know, I think there's an increasing responsibility of real estate owners and operators, whether that be public or private, to understand the impacts of what their buildings are doing. And so much like the green certification of buildings and lead certification of buildings that, that came about, you know, 10 to 12 years ago that are kind of now the standard Right. As, as you talk about buildings, I think there are some initiatives around sustainability and energy um, consumption around those buildings to making sure that what, what are we really doing and contributing back? We can't do things, you know, the next 20 years like we've done the last 20 years. So I think there's going to be this this evolution and a need for a partnership with organizations like Bureau Veritas that can help them with uh, you know, plan from pre-construction all the way through and help them understand the environmental impacts uh, around the operation of their building. How can they make them better for society, but at the same time, more efficient for themselves? So is that, you know, using different windows? Is it, you know, uh, replacing mechanical systems at a different life cycle point? Is it using different materials for the ground, you know, various types of concrete and asphalt and exposed aggregate and those types of things all have different impacts on the environment. And so, you know, we, we are seeing a significant number of our clients begin to develop some internal goals around emissions and, you know, sustainability and so on and so forth. I think, you know, it's, it's easiest place you look at electric vehicle charging and, you know, how that's impacting the consumer but go up the line on, you know, solar and wind farms to provide some of that power. And what does it do to the grid and, and really throughout that whole evolution. So you and I see it when, when we have to charge our car, but think of all those components along the way around manufacturing batteries stored, you know, and then how, how is this increased demand of electricity? How's the grid set up for that? So solar, wind, you know, storage of power and batteries so that, when the grid can't keep up, we can use that that stored energy to to help augment, you know, what what the grid can't produce. So I, I just think sustainability and um, it is just going to continue to come to the forefront, and people are going to be forced or willingly go down that path. Anecdotally, I hear labor and material shortages continue to be top of the charts, so to say, yeah. as far as one of the biggest challenges in construction. With the benefit of hindsight being 2020 and taking this opportunity to be at the end of the year and look at the past year, uh, I'd like to get your opinion on some of the challenges that have impacted uh, B&I this, sure. this year. Sure. So certainly, um, the, the labor pool continues to be the number one topic for us and for our peers. Um, you know, finding qualified accredited candidates to do some of these things. So, you know, most of the work that we do requires some sort of 
special accreditation or special knowledge and background. It's it's difficult to to you know just come off the street and enter into a large part of of my BNI workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to again, I'll stay with the theme of elevators. You know, there <laughs> there's quite a process of five years in the elevator industry. You have to pass quite the exam to get your state accreditation to be able to inspect elevators and so on and so forth. And so the reality is that pool of employees is shrinking over time. It's not growing. And so uh, that's true in a number of my businesses of, of saying, where can we find qualified people to do that? And so, you know, we are trying to engage at different levels, you know, at the, the community college level, the college level, depending on the skill set that we need to turn folks on to these careers that, you know, no no one or very few people grow up saying, I want to review plans for a living and be a building inspector, <laughs> right? But at the same time, those jobs can be quite lucrative, uh, you know, a, as a career. And so for us, it's about educating um kind of the, the 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 newer workforce that says, hey, what, what do I really want to do and say, hey, you can forge a pretty, pretty financially rewarding career by doing these things, but you have to go down a certain path. So we are being very deliberate, um, you know, in, in certain schools that we are reaching out to to try to educate them on the workforce that we need. We're reaching out to veterans uh, more so than we ever have in the past. They seem to be a very good fit in many cases for our for our many of our industries so by far and away the 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 number one challenge we have is is our our labor pool for the number two is some sort of supply chain and i'll call it erratic and by that i mean we we oftentimes don't know when things are going to show up and so sometimes things stay right on track other times they're you're told they're delayed six months and they show up in three. Other yep. times you're told, hey, we're going to have this stuff in six months and it's nine months. And so the, the real challenge around supply chain, I think, is twofold. One is the inconsistency. So what is the real story? And I don't think certainly anyone is being you know malicious and saying, hey, I'm going to tell them three months when I really know that six. I really don't think that's the, the heart of the issue. I think it's such an erratic um, global issue that where do we need all of these components from? Yeah. Right. So if something is manufactured in the United States, think of where all those components are coming from. And if you're missing one or two critical components, the entire thing stops. So to, to me, on the supply chain side, the challenge has been really the erratic nature of, of, of the disruption and how do you plan for that? Uh, and, and when you don't, and when when can you be? How can you plan for those surprises? And, and I, th- I, I think sometimes you can't even plan for that because I was talking to a contractor not too long ago, and he was set up at the job site, and he needed he needed uh, you know a few yards, even a few tons of uh, concrete, and they yeah. just straight up canceled day of. Uh, because the material went to a, a, a higher priority project, so um, if that's yeah, happening that happens constantly. All, that happens, unfortunately, all the time. Of you know, 
again, it's just that erratic. It's supposed yeah. to be here today. We were told it's here today. So, you know, we, we had, you know, some situations where clients would say, well, I'm not starting until I have 100% of the materials on site or very close to on site, at least in the United States. But you'd run into situations exactly like you described as someone saw it sitting in a storage warehouse or something like that and said, hey, I can get this drywall over on this project because they need it today, not in six months. So we even had employees take that to the extreme of, you know, we're not starting any projects until 100% of the material is here. And even that didn't work. Um, and then the, the third overwhelming impact to us this year is inflation, the mm. construction costs, right? So many of our projects think about an, an airport or a, uh, or a road or a bridge that has been planned in, in expansion for number of years, you know, five, 10 years at least. By the time they think about it, it goes through the planning, the approval, the right of way, or, you know, some, some sort of planning that way. And, you know, they put it out to bid maybe a year ago, or at least on their cost estimates and so on and so forth. And they go down this budget and now we're ready to start. And the contractor saying, wait a minute, my cost has now gone up by 25%, 50%, whatever the case may be. And so, you know, on a, on a private side, if it's a private, you may have access to may, more funds, you may not, you may evolve the scope and those types of things, or you may cancel the project. On the public side where it's funded by taxpayers or bonds or sales tax, whatever the case may be, now you have to go back and say, okay, do we want to rescope? Do we want to take budget dollars from some future project? You know, it's much more of a closed loop. And so, and those projects have a tendency to be much larger, you know, in dollars, anywhere from, you know, a hundred million to, you know, up to six, seven billion dollars of, of construction work. And so when you think about a 25% increase on those projects, they can be really significant. So, you know, this year we've, we've easily had, a dozen major projects around the United States that were delayed, that were literally, you know, 90 days away from a shovel in the ground to, hey, we let's stop because we don't have the money for this. Wow. And so that, you know, creates its own set of challenges to what can we do to keep those projects moving along? Um, you know, again, if they're taxpayers, you're saying, hey, I, this road was supposed to go from two to four lanes. And it was supposed to start in you know 2022, and now that may not start in 2022, or an extension of a of a light rail system, or whatever the case may be, or the remodeling remodeling of JFK Airport. You know that was supposed to start actually in summer of 2020. And right? it's, it's it, not it, happening yet. It, it is just now starting, literally in the last 30 days. Oh wow. So, so the timing couldn't have been any worse, right? With the pandemic happening in March of 2020. Uh, so ridership going down, air, you know, airline travel comes to a screeching halt. Much of that work is funded by, you know, ridership taxes in some way. And so think about the cost, even the initial cost and the funding mechanism is cut by 75% for a long period of time as people aren't riding, you know, metro metro uh, transit in some way or airports or air, airlines in some way and okay great now everyone's back to riding those things but now the cost you know went up by 33 percent 
Sure. You know, was a $4 billion project. Now it's a six or $7 billion project to do the same thing. So the problem was just compounded. So we're working our way through that, but, you know, in theory, we should have been two years into a four-year project and instead we're one month into a four-year project. Yeah. So, yeah. Just I think it would be a, a fun uh, project not to use that word over and over and over again, but um, fun little article to take um, really high known, well-known construction projects, say the Empire State Building, the Hoover Dam, and yeah. just say it cost this much originally, but now in today's material costs, it would actually have cost this much to build right now. Yeah. Just to see this prices skyrocket and just go, whoa, I'd be interested. It, it would be entertaining for about five minutes. No, <laughs> it, it would be it would be mind boggling, mind boggling yeah. for sure. Yeah. Do Do you think we're going to see a break of these costs at all? Whew. That's that's literally the million or billion dollar question, right? <laughs> as we head into twenty twenty three, and so look, it's good to see some things stabilize. Um, you know, we are not seeing as rapid. Um, as an increase, as we did say 12 months ago, as we headed into 2022, you know, we, we do just like most organizations do a good chunk of our fiscal year planning about this time. Right. And so certainly as we sat here 12 months ago, you know, we, we, like many others truly didn't anticipate eight and a half or nine or 10% inflation for a good chunk of this year. And so, you know, I think, as we move into next year, you know, again, we don't think that will continue. And there are signs every day that says it won't. But then there's some wrench <laughs> that gets thrown into the financial markets that says, well, maybe it maybe it's going to. So I, I was recently at a, at a at a large CEO conference around um, the AEC industry, which is architectural engineering construction industry. So architects, engineers, and contractors primarily. And they took a a live poll. There were about 300 people there. And about 75% of them felt that there was going to be a minor recession next year. The other, there was about 20% that felt it was going to be a major um, economic recession recession next year, and about 5% that says we're already done. So it was just interesting that in that AEC leadership space, um, you know, people still felt like 23 was going to be, you know, a, a continued challenging economic year from a recession standpoint, at least the vast majority of them. And, you know, only 5% were feeling optimistic. The other 95% went from from mild to major uh, in terms of their sentiment and planning and things. So our work gloves have to stay on. We can't take them off yet. Do. We, right. we are exercising a lot of uh, new muscles since 2020 between the pandemic and inflation and, um, you know, the labor market challenges and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, I've, I've been in the industry for 30 plus years longer than, uh, than I care to admit. And, we are certainly in, experienced a number of recessions over that lifetime and life cycle. And the things that we've experienced the last three years are still new and different than we've ever had before, right? So when inflation is a one to 2% and it goes to, to nine or 10, you know, that's a completely different business model to, to, try, to, to try to operate in. 
Let me end this section of this three-part series right here. Before we go, I'd like to thank Ron for taking the time to speak with us. And thank you for listening. Tune in soon for part two as I ask more about the challenges the construction industry has had to deal with and how the industry has adapted to overcome them. Until next time, stay safe out there.